It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Abby Hornacek. I'm Ben Dominich. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. Congress has approved short-term funding to keep the government open, but it does not include military aid for Ukraine or border security measures Republicans say we need. Everyone in the world wants to be here because they want to be an American, and I don't blame them, but we need to have an orderly process and we need to have limits and structure for that, not just an open border. We speak with GOP Senator James Lankford. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Will he blame a lack of regulation, his associates, himself, for losing billions of dollars in a now collapsed crypto empire? Jury selection in SBF's FTX trial begins today. I do think that there's going to be a lot of dirty laundry that comes out about the people involved, about how the system that was put in place was operating. And I'm Robert Jeffress. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The government is still open for business after Congress took budget drama to the brink over the weekend and then lawmakers agreed to short-term funding hours before a deadline. Just the day before, we had the most conservative stopgap bill we've ever had, would secure the border, would cut wasteful spending, but the sad part here as the leader... I had 21 Republicans vote no, and government was going to shut down. So that's why House Speaker Kevin McCarthy tells Fox and Friends he had to work with Democrats to approve a budget plan funding the government to mid-November. But McCarthy reaching across the aisle to get a compromise with the Senate has upset some of his fellow Republicans, like Congressman Matt Gates, who's pushing to oust the Speaker from that position saying it's time to change Washington and cut spending. It took Speaker McCarthy 15 votes to become the Speaker. So until I get to 14 or 15, I don't think I'm being any more dilatory than he was. McCarthy says bring it on. He'll survive. And Gates just has a vendetta. Don't judge the GOP by Matt Gates. There's no such drama, though, in the Senate, where most Republicans are just glad they worked out a deal over the weekend. Government shutdowns actually don't accomplish anything. They actually waste taxpayer dollars. Senator James Lankford is a Republican from Oklahoma. They end up backpaying federal workers, but in the process, federal workers miss paychecks. That's a big deal for most Americans to miss paychecks. Federal contractors are not paid during that time, and they don't get backpaid. That's a huge problem for them personally. And quite frankly, it's a nuisance to the American people. Yeah, and military service members would have also been unpaid for whatever length of time there was no funding, right? That is correct. We've literally got folks that are in harm's way in different countries around the world that would be working at that time, not getting a paycheck, which means their families, while they're in harm's way, their families are back here trying to be able to pay the bills and trying to be able to take care of things. And suddenly they don't have any money coming in. That's a big issue. So again, everybody's got to look at the big picture. What gets accomplished is one of the reasons why I sat down five years ago with Maggie Hassan, who's a Democrat from New Hampshire, and said, we need to work out a nonpartisan way to end government shutdowns so we can have the arguments that are significant to our country, but we don't actually have a shutdown at the same time. Shutdowns have not been forever. They've just been around since the 1980s. Uh, If they got turned on during the 1980s, they should be able to be turned off now. Well, we have 
45 days of funding. Are we going to go into the November dealing with another on the brink moment? Let me go ahead and just give you the good news. Absolutely, we will. Uh, I, I don't know how we're going to avoid that in the next seven weeks to not have a brink moment again. But there's a lot of things that do need to get done. And if we can stay on focus on the key things that was the argument about this time, and quite frankly, is the national argument, economic opportunity and inflation, what's going to happen with our debt and deficit that includes federal spending and how much that's affecting the whole country right now. So we've got to deal with federal spending. We have to deal with the issue of Ukraine and what's happening in our foreign policy. That's really a bigger argument of what is America's place in the world now? Have, has that changed? And then the third big piece is national security that deals with border security, that deals with crime, deals with the role of the American government, how much we're going to actually enforce law in this country or just look the other way. Those are big issues. So I understand why we're having the argument about it, because those are very significant pieces. But now we've got to actually make some progress in those. If we can make that progress in the next seven weeks, I think we can actually help the country in many ways. We've got to define out what it means at the border. We've got to define out where we're our place in the world. And we've got to define out how we're going to get out of this $33 trillion hole. Now, the House tried to put border security measures in place, but it didn't work out. And that was left out of what was passed over the weekend. Now, we did learn also over the weekend there were more than 260,000 migrants stopped crossing the border illegally in the month of September. That's a new record. We had a record number of illegal immigration stops also for the whole fiscal year, which just ended at the end of September, but no funding. We even have Democrats now. The governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, said the border is too open right now. Those are quotes. So Mm -hmm. are you finding more Democrats with you against the president on border policy? I am, actually. Uh, Interestingly enough, we have more and more Democrats that are awakening to what's happening because immigration is now affecting northern states and more blue states. We're all saying welcome to the club because this is affecting the whole country. Just to set context on it, you talked about the record being set. The previous record was last year. And so during the Biden administration, less than three years total under the Biden administration, we've seen more illegal crossings than we had the previous 12 years combined. That'd be both terms of the Obama administration and the Trump administration. So the numbers have really skyrocketed. And this administration's not been serious about it. So the conversations now that I'm having with Democrat senators are how do we actually do the tasks that we need to do to clarify what the word asylum means so that this president or no future president can abuse that definition and we can actually get quick decisions. We want people that if they qualify for asylum to be able to receive asylum. But for people that are just coming for economic opportunity, they can't come and claim asylum for that. That's not asylum. The challenge the House had was They brought a strictly partisan immigration bill that's not going to actually work in a bipartisan Senate. I think we forget sometimes that to move anything in the Senate, you've got to have 60 people in a bipartisan agreement to it. But it's also right now it's run by Democrats in the Senate and Republicans in the House. So this is a good moment for us to have a true nonpartisan solution to deal with the the root causes of the immigration. And that is our open border is the real root cause. It's not poverty worldwide. It's the fact that we're the United States of America and everyone in the world wants to be here because they want to be an American. And I don't blame them, but we need to have an orderly process and we need to have limits and structure for that, not just an open border. You know, I said they were stopped crossing illegally, but a lot of them end up just being led into the country. They're processed, given their claims and show up in court at some point. What needs to be done differently, in your opinion? 
So the most basic piece of this is to be able to define what the word asylum means and what the word asylum does not mean. If we can get that definition, that makes a world of difference. And if we can get rapid decisions on it, if you cross into Canada right now, because Canada addressed the same issue more than two decades ago, if you cross into Canada right now and say, I want to get asylum in your country, the first thing that they will ask you is, did you request asylum in the United States before you came here? If you say no, and you transited through our country, then they would send you right back to the United States and say, you've got to do this the right way. Congress has to be able to clarify that and put strict boundaries on it and also has to have the hearings faster. Right now, if you're requesting asylum and you cross the border, it may be 10 years before you actually get that first hearing on asylum to be able to find out you actually don't qualify, but no one assumes they're going to actually show up for that hearing 10 years from now. You mentioned Ukraine. The spending bill did not include additional military aid in the battle against Russia's invasion. I want you to hear what President Biden had to say about this on Sunday. I hope my friends on the other side keep their word about support for Ukraine. They said they're going to support Ukraine in a separate vote. We cannot, under any circumstance, allow American support for Ukraine to be interrupted. Senator, some Republicans have said enough with Ukraine. We've given them billions of dollars in military and other aid enough. What do you say? Yeah, it's not it's not as simple as that among a lot of Republicans. There are some Republicans that would say support Ukraine, but I want to see progress on our border. We're working so much on their border. We're not working on our border. We want to see both out there. And so there are a lot of folks saying, if you're going to move Ukraine funding, I want to see real progress on our southern border. There are others that are saying we need continued oversight of what's happening in Ukraine. I can understand that's entirely reasonable. Uh, but we actually do have 21 different groups that are doing oversight right now on our border uh, with Ukraine. Uh, but they want to see more progress. Others would say, I want to hear from Biden. Is this an open checkbook or is there a plan for us to engage? Because the Biden uh, administration has been very slow moving weapon systems, which seems to be prolonging this war. And there are some people asking a reasonable question of the administration. What's the plan? I would tell you as an American and as a member of the United States Senate, I try to look at this in a way that honors our word. We as Americans do not support what Putin is doing, moving into a neighboring country and slaughtering his neighbors. That is not something the American people should just look away from and, and yawn and say that's no big deal. It is a big deal. We should learn the lesson from Afghanistan and that terrible withdrawal and the message that sends to the world when America looks weak. Some have, who are critics, say, well, how much do we do? How, how long? What if this takes five years? How, how long do we have to do this? And shouldn't other countries be giving as much as we are? Those are great questions, and that's actually part of the debate that's happening in Congress right now is to be able to ask the Biden administration, what is the plan? What is the timing? Those are reasonable questions to be able to ask. I would also say there's been a lot of pressure that's been put on Europe. Europe is now contributing as much as the United States is into the war in Ukraine. But we've also got aid coming in from Japan and from South Korea and from areas of Africa. You understand, this is truly a global conflict where the globe is looking at what Putin is doing funded by China and by Iran uh, and North Korea to be able to look at it for what it really is. This is North Korea, Russia, Iran and China all working together to be able to kill the folks in Ukraine. And we should not just as a nation and as a globe to be able to turn our head away from that and think that doesn't have real international consequences. There is another part of the world Senator Lankford is also worried about. He and three other senators, Republicans and Democrats, are working on a bill called the Middle East Security Coordination Act. It would provide funding for a U.S. security coordinator for Israel and the Palestinian Authority, with the goal of strengthening Israel's relationship with other countries in that region as a roadmap for peace. 
with the Abraham Accords, what we've seen with the economic activity and cooperation that's happening there, those nations of uh, Bahrain, of the United Arab Emirates, of Morocco, they're seeing real benefit now of tourism, of business, of um, uh, trade that's happening, of uh, research that's going on for cancer research, for technology. I want to continue to advance that for our cooperation as well on cybersecurity, uh, nations being able to cooperate with other nations. As the Palestinians look around the rest of the region and to say, those that are cooperating with Israel are seeing a benefit from normalization and not constantly being at war with each other, the hope is that the Palestinian people would say, let's actually find a way that we can actually get to a warm peace here uh, rather than hostile fighting constantly. So this basically strengthens oversight for Congress on 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 the U.S., Israel and Palestinian authorities. Is that, is that what is part of the, what's at stake here? Not only strengthens that long-term commitment, but it also uh, demonstrates an example of how we're cooperating with other countries and how we can have the opportunity to be able to work together to be able to build those normalized relationships. Obviously, there's a lot of conversation right now about normalizing relationships between Israel and Saudi Arabia. That is the next big domino to fall in the Middle East, but it will have a real impact on what's actually happening to the Palestinian people as well to be able to see this progress being made in other areas and to ask their own leaders, now what's the next step for us? Well, you have a lot of balls in the air you're dealing with, Senator. We appreciate your time. Senator James Lankford, Republican from Oklahoma, thanks so much for joining us. You bet. Glad to be able to do it today. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. This is Robert Jeffress with your Fox News commentary. Coming up. Trial begins today for the man accused of losing billions of dollars in customers' and creditors' money as the head of a major cryptocurrency firm. Sam Bankman-Fried faces seven counts, including wire fraud, conspiracy to commit securities fraud, and commodities fraud. Less than a year ago, on November 10th, this was Fox Business anchor Liz Clayman on the collapse of FTX. FTX boss Sam Bankman-Fried is begging for billions of dollars or a white knight to stave off bankruptcy of his cryptocurrency exchange while tweeting that he, quote, effed up and should have done better. Lawmakers were confused. Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF as he's been called, had been working with them on what future crypto regulation should look like, and he'd given millions to political campaigns. Celebrities like Larry David backed FTX. He cut this now ironic Super Bowl ad that aired February 13th, 2022, just months before SBF's company imploded. Like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. After FTX collapsed, Bankman-Fried said in several interviews, including in one interview with the Wall Street Journal, which aired December 3rd, that customers' dollar amounts weren't showing up properly. Customers would transfer money from their FTX crypto exchange accounts to their Alameda crypto trading accounts, both of which Sam Bankman-Fried owned and operated. Then they were supposed to be credited that amount. Bengman Fried says while he wasn't running Alameda, he could guess where the money was spent. I can now go back and take a guess at what, you know, where they were ultimately spent um, or used or something. But dollars are fungible with each other. And so it's not like this one dollar bill over here that you can trace through from start to finish. 
what you get is more just omnibus pots of assets of various forms. Speaking of pots of assets, the man who took over FTX to try to salvage what he could, John Ray III, testified to Congress, telling the House Financial Services Committee last December. There were virtually no internal controls and no separateness whatsoever. Now trial begins on seven counts for Bankman Freed, who was on house arrest until late summer when his bail was revoked after a judge found Bankman Freed engaged in witness tampering. I mean, you go back to November of 2022 and the crypto space was just becoming kind of exciting for the average investor, right? Someone saying, oh, okay, I, I'm just going to kind of throw some money in there. And, and one of the main spaces to do so was the FTX exchange. Fox Business correspondent Kelly O'Grady is hosting a special podcast called The Trial of Sam Bankman Freed. It's available now. And that was what came crashing down when everything started to unravel with Sam Bankman Freed and his, his cohort of folks that he worked with. And it was really that relationship between Alameda Research and FTX. So Alameda Research was a trading firm and it was essentially a space for people to trade you know, these these different cryptocurrencies. And the fraud was, or alleged fraud, was that Alameda Research had lost a lot of money because of the change in the value of Bitcoin and Ethereum and cryptocurrency in general. It had been at, at a huge peak and it had started to um, crash even before all of this, this alleged fraud was found out. And Sam Bankman-Fried, who started both Alameda Research and FTX allegedly took customer funds from FTX and plugged that hole in Alameda. The way that it was found out is when people started to see this, oh, something might be going on at Alameda and FTX. And of course, you put something on Twitter and where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, there was essentially a, a digital bank run on FTX. And that's kind of and where everything started to collapse. Kelly, that was the social media aspect of this, right? The, the crypto firm Binance started pulling its cash out of the FTT tokens, right? That Sam Bankman's Freed's tokens. And that's part of what prompted this bank run. That was really how, I guess, how I and many others were, were watching this unfold last November was the speculation about what was Binance doing. Right. And then there was speculation that Binance was going to purchase uh, FTX. Right. They were going to kind of come in and buy this and all the customers were going to be OK. And then the fact that Binance decided, you know what, we're going to step away. That fed this speculation that there was something nefarious going on, because when you go and buy a company, you get access traditionally in any M&A transactions to all of their financials. And so all of us are standing on the sidelines going, what did they see? And couple this with there was a balance sheet from Alameda yes. Research that was circulating the internet <laughs> that everyone was going, oh my gosh, there's a ton of customer funds missing. There's a huge hole. And that was what's also fed into this fear that something was about to come crashing down. And that, Kelly, that balance sheet showed I think in the simplest terms that they had on that balance sheet, like far more tokens than even existed. Right. And so then there were these these accusations that the numbers that you were seeing 
on the FTX exchange of volume traded that everything Mm. was simply made up or things were being uh, misrepresented. And so there were just all of these threats, essentially, right? What did Binance see? What was going on with this balance sheet? What's going on with the fact that you're starting to hear of a potential investigation? There were some rumors that the DOJ was investigating. All of those threads, you know, you start to pull at each of them and there was just this panic that began in the crypto community. So after that, things sort of calm down to a certain extent. Charges get filed. There's Sam Bankman-Fried extradited back from the Bahamas. And, and this man, John Ray III, takes over sort of to try and salvage what he can from FTX, essentially for creditors, it sounds like. And, and, and this man was also tasked years ago with untangling what went wrong with Enron. Um, so he, he's, he said he's used to looking at sort of complex financial situations. He said, this looks, what happened with, with FTX and Alameda, that this looks like good old fashioned embezzlement. Is that what the trial's about? It is about proving sort of a, a very simple legal term. It's exactly that. And I I love that you describe it that way, because I think there can be a lot of confusion around the crypto space in general and that, oh, this is going to be some really complicated trial about some sort of space that I don't understand. Alleged fraud is alleged fraud. (laughs) Let's say alleged for now because we haven't gone through the trial. But that really is uh, what the prosecution is going to be looking to prove, that money that was supposed to be one place was intentionally moved and used against the knowledge and wishes of customers in another place. And all of this was kept from customers. All of it was concealed from investors. There's a number of different fraud charges. But the way he described it is exactly right. And I also want to highlight that when the guy who was brought in to clean up Enron says this is the worst (laughs) thing when it comes to fraud and structure that he has ever seen, that's a tall tall bar or a high bar rather. Yeah, he said that there were, uh, he said there were zero controls, right? You're supposed to keep pots of money separate, right? FTX Exchange and Alameda, those are not supposed to be mingled. And John Ray III told Congress, I think, in a hearing, this is a mess. There were absolutely no controls that he could see keeping those pots of money separate. Yeah, he also referenced that Sam Bankman-Fried ran the company as his own personal fiefdom and that Mm. he was using the money to buy Bahamian mansions and to make donations to both political parties and through other people, which there's all sorts of things, uh, if that is indeed what he did, that's wrong about that. And he, John Ray III also said that it was, you know, it was essentially children running the whole thing, right. which gets back to that point of how to all of these famed investors and celebrities and whatnot, when you when you look at who's on the other side of the coin, that it's <laughs> it's really just people in their late 20s, how were they allowed to operate with no board, with no controls? It's it's really a head scratcher, I think, for all of us on the outside looking in. I want to ask you a little bit about the financial aspects as well, the regulation aspects before we go. But briefly, Sam Bankman-Fried gave interviews, which I'm sure his attorneys were thrilled with, um, after all of this went down, multiple interviews since. And it hasn't even been a year since this unraveled. He said, what did he say, Kelly? He said, essentially, whoops, I'm, I'm sorry, my bad. I should have been paying more attention. 
That was the narrative that he was pushing before he was extradited from the Bahamas. He did an interview with the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Good Morning America. And it was all around that same thread that I'm so sorry, I take responsibility that I should have known better. And I'm sorry, but when you have two parents who are Stanford legal professors, when you've gone to MIT, when you are assuming the responsibility of billions and billions of dollars in investments and customer money, whoops, you're you're the captain. You know, you you are the person that is supposed to be the steward for protecting customer money. So uh, that may be the defense that he was going with then. If that's the defense that he chooses to go with in court, I don't think that that's going to play particularly well with a jury. I think a lot of the defense will center around the fact that there isn't much regulation as of yet in the crypto space. There's arguments over what crypto is even, you know, is it a security? Is it not? And therefore, what governmental bodies should be regulating it? I think you're also going to see a lot of blame deflected, not just on the system, but towards other parties. So one thing that the prosecution and the defense have been arguing about pre-trial is whether Sam Bankman-Fried can use what's called an advice of counsel defense. And so what that means is that he would blame the legal in-house counsel at FTX that he oh. was advised what he was doing had no issue, that he, he was legally protected. Again, if you think about the jury, you think about his credentials, you think about how he's been able to convince all of these people to put their money with him, the fact that he was on the cover right. of Forbes, everything, it's really going to go back to, oh, whoops, I made a mistake. I trusted the wrong people. I don't know how well that's going to play, but we'll see. <laughs> okay, last one for you. A law professor at Vanderbilt University told, I think it was The Verge, this trial is going to be an excruciating moment for the industry because no one knows what kind of evidence might come out. What does that mean? An excruciating moment for the industry? Is it because it could change the way the industry operates, whatever comes out of this? Or is it because some dirty laundry might come out? I think it's definitely the latter, predominantly. Uh, I, I think that this is already just the simple fact that we are having a trial, that you had a collapse, that you've had multiple different exchanges and cryptocurrency companies come under scrutiny. It's already changed the industry. There's already a lot more scrutiny from the government, scrutiny from the customer, trepidation that this is what everyone thought it was in the beginning, just a black market wild west type thing uh, so that's already changed the game but i do think that there's going to be a lot of dirty laundry that comes out about the people involved about how the system that was put in place was operating because there's a lot of exchanges out there and there's a lot of questions around is this going to shed light on other things that are happening in the industry, other players from other companies, other systems, uh, investors. There's a lot of high profile people that could be brought up in this case. So excruciating, juicy. I'm going to go with juicy. I'm excited for the ride. Fox Business Correspondent Kelly O'Grady, um, host of the podcast, The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, available now. Thank you, Kelly, so much for joining. Appreciate it.
A celebrity cold case is one step closer to being solved after authorities in Las Vegas announced an arrest in connection to the 90s drive-by murder of rapper Tupac Shakur. There's been many people who did not believe that the murder of Tupac Shakur was important to this police department. I'm here to tell you that was simply not the case. It was not the case back then and it is not the case today. Las Vegas Metro PD Sheriff Kevin McMahill announcing Friday the arrest of Dwayne Keefe D. Davis, who prosecutors allege ordered and planned the 1996 killing of the then rap superstar. In his memoir and in previous interviews, Davis said that while he did not shoot the gun, he knew who did and provided the weapon used. State law allows for Davis to face a murder charge just for assisting someone to commit the crime. Davis has not commented on the charge. There's more on this story at foxnews.com. Subscribe to the Fox True Crime podcast with Emily Campagno. I'm Anna Eliopoulos with your Fox True Crime Minute. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Robert Jeffress. What's on your mind? This is a chaotic time in our culture. Hardly anybody disputes that, regardless of where you land on the political spectrum. Everyone agrees our society is sick, but everyone is arguing about why and how to fix it. We can't agree on the diagnosis or the cure. Get a hundred pundits and politicians in a room and you'll hear a hundred different diagnoses and a hundred different cures. I want to submit an explanation for what is wrong and how we can take steps toward fixing it. What if our problem is that we've forgotten God's most basic laws, the Ten Commandments? And what if the cure was to follow them? Now, before you dismiss this idea, go with me here for a minute. Just read Commandments 5 through 10. No lying, no stealing, no murder, no adultery. Then imagine a society where each of those commands is lived out and followed. Things would look very differently, wouldn't they? You wouldn't have to lock your doors or hide your valuables. No one would be coming to hurt you or steal from you. You could tear up all your contracts. A simple handshake would suffice. Families would remain intact. This sounds like a wonderful place, but it's not just a figment of somebody's imagination. This is all God's idea of how things should be. This is the social life the Ten Commandments would commend to us. Yes, most of the commands require saying no to things, like idols, murder, lying, adultery, and envy. But their purpose is not to oppress us. God gave us these commands to bless us. They reveal God's good design for how we should live and love. Departing from them offends God, and in the process, it also makes us profoundly unhappy. As I explain in my new book, The Ten, these commandments aren't a list of lifeless rules meant to take away your freedom. If we would follow them, we would be freed up to truly live. That was God's good intention in giving them to us. He wants us to flourish. The truth is, God is the one who made us. That means God knows what will make us happiest. When God says, stop it with all these false gods and idols, he is in effect saying, come and enjoy me, the one who can truly make you happy. 
So many Americans today love and worship something less than God. If we worship money, sex, or power, we'll always be disappointed. If we love ourselves more than we love God and others, we'll never be happy. St. Augustine said it this way, Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The diagnosis and the cure for the chaos in our culture and in our own hearts runs right through the Ten Commandments. This is Robert Jeffress for Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, everyone. It's Kennedy, and you can listen to my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It's going five days a week on the Fox News Podcast Network. We're bringing you all the fan favorites. Listen on Spotify, Apple, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download podcasts. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.